0: cast style on. 1 2 3
1: Change hey Kikaida welcome
0: back. Go Go
1: another tokurific episode of fanholes toku thursdays hey what's up guys this is Derek, Derek WC I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight and joining me tonight is one of my fellow fanholes why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight
2: hey this is Justin
1: And we are continuing our ongoing index coverage of Android Kikaita this episode. We are on episode 11, which is titled, Gold Wolf, Tormented Howls from Hell. And I would regale you with the long-winded Wikipedia title, but it's actually not all that long-winded. It is, Gold Wolf, Howls in Hell. But if you want to check out how to say... Gold Wolf in Japan. <laughs> Apparently it is Gorudo
2: Urufuwa.
1: So if you ever wanna, you know, run around and say wolf in Japan, you can, you know, go, oh my gosh, it is the moonlight full and there is a Urufuwa on the loose. So yeah. So yeah, so so the broadcast date of episode eleven is september nineteen seventy two. And the sort of high-level, short synopsis from August Rancone on the DVD set reads as follows. Mitsuku and Masaru are captured by Gold Wolf, or Gurudu Urufuwa, and Jiro is seriously injured when he tries to save them. So that's kind of the, the... short and sweet synopsis, but we're going to go into some more detailed blow-by-blow analysis of Kikaida Episode 11, like we normally do on Toku Thursdays. So, we actually open up on the titular character in Shadow, howling in the moonlight. Then we cut to the Tadokoro residence, where the phone is ringing. A mysterious man in a black cloak and hat is on a payphone making a call to the house. The young lady of the house answers the ringing phone only to receive no answer. She demands to know who is calling as she's been getting the same creepy voiceless calls every night. The caller hangs up and stalks the neighborhood. He leaps over the house walls and scurries about the yard, peering through the window. The young lady of the house calls out to the intruder, but he quickly retreats, only to be spotted by a pair of policemen on night patrol. When they shine their flashlights on him, they notice the mystery man has a mechanical gauge incorporated into his chest. As they question his humanity, the full moon begins to emerge from the dark clouds, and the mechanism begins to beat, and the gauge needle moves from the left-hand side to the right-hand side and a startling transformation occurs. Or just a really basic crossfade, because we got a budget here, Larry. And the mystery man turns into the dark destructoid, Gold Wolf, or Gorudo He attacks the cops with his large mace hands, presumably killing or seriously injuring. So we are now up to our first factoid. So I'm gonna turn it over to Justin, the Tell us
2: what's going on here. The tragic humanoid form of Gold Wolf, or as Derek has been saying, Gorudu orufa-wa, was played by Toru Sakaguchi, who was the star of his own superhero type show for Toei, the extremely popular Red Shadow, the Masked Ninja. He also made notable guest appearances as a regular character in Ishimori Toei's teleseries, Message from Space, a Galactic Battle, featuring future superstar. Hiro Hiroyuki Sanada, Mr. Sakaguchi passed away on july thirteenth
1: two thousand three yeah so the 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 humanoid form of gold wolf i I was trying to do some some research to make sure that there wasn't any connection between the the manga and anime to this dark destructoid in the television series. And and in some ways, there kind of is a connection, and in some ways, it's, it's kind of their own version of another character, because there is a character in the manga and the anime called Golden Bat. But ironically, or, or for whatever reason, even though Gold Wolf appears in this episode, episode 11, later in the tokusatsu, they actually have the official golden bat in the live-action Tokusatsu series, so technically there's not much of a connection. But when I was doing all this research, I noticed that there's this series called Bat, and it's basically like it's this guy, and he's got a gold skull and a gold body, but then he's kind of got this long, like, black cape, and it's red in the reverse, and he's kind of got this spawn collar, and it's, it's like he's got the powers of Superman, but he kind of laughs maniacally, like, the shadow when he's beating up bad guys, and I was totally distracted, like, while I was trying to do research for kaida because I was like, what is this? And, like, apparently, it's, it's like Japan's, like, first superhero ever, and, and supposedly, you know, I don't know if it's the internet blowing smoke up my ass or what, but supposedly this character, the, the golden bat, the, the sort of superhero character, not the one from, you know, Kakaida or whatever, but this, this superhero character first originated in the 19, like early 1930 and apparently it was displayed through these kind of Japanese, like, paper theater-type shows. And I guess it's it's kind of like... I, I know when you did that retrovirus, Justin, there was that David Carradine movie where the guy had the little puppet shows and everything. But I guess instead of puppets, like, I guess the idea is it's kind of like they had a manga or, a, you know, some, some kind of drawings that were shown, you know, in, in unison on a screen and everything... And and basically that's where some of the early Golden Bat stories come from. But like I guess later it was it was an anime in the '60s, and I, I noticed there were you know subtitled episodes of that. So I watched the first episode of that, and then apparently there's this like black-and-white live-action movie with Sonny Chiba, and, you know, of course, I couldn't find that in English, but apparently there is there is some kind of English-translated version of that out there somewhere, so uh, of course, I was totally distracted by all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I've actually seen the first two or three episodes of the Golden Bat anime. I think it's from 1967, and it's pretty interesting, because it's like, you can tell from watching it, it has that feel, or that kind of art design of like a anime from the late 60s early 70s and it's kind of you know it's a wacky and kind of over the top but like i I really enjoyed watching it i think the group that subs it is called the scarrow hunting society and they sub a lot of like obscure and older anime and even a few live action shows and i think they were doing that
1: that's really cool yeah, I, I, obviously I totally was distracted, but, you know, going back to the official synopsis, or blow-by-blow synopsis of the Kakaida episode, we then cut back to
2: Professor
1: Gill back at Dark Headquarters, who demands to know why Gold Wolf went to the home of Dr. Tadokoro. And Gil indicates that he has been reprimanded before, and Gold Wolf claims that he was only conducting surveillance on the premises. Gil then exposits that so long as the moonlight shines on his lunar power cell, Gold Wolf is one of Gil's quote unquote finest followers, but that without the moonlight, Goldwolf has a conscience circuit, much like Jiro, which to Gil makes him an imperfect robot of Dr. Kamoji. Gil warns Goldwolf not to betray him and sets off electrical squibs on a crucifix behind Goldwolf. So, I I think for me, like, I just kind of wanted to bring this up because it was something that kind of struck me funny and it's kind of like gold wolf is having this conversation with professor gill not in person but kind of like darth vader kind of speaking to the emperor through a hologram or whatever but instead of it being a hologram it's like he's speaking to a wall that has this kind of logo on it and it's 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 kind of weird it's like Basically, it lights up when they're communicating back and forth and everything. And, like, it's it's got a D, like this big red D, which I assume is for the Dark Organization. And then it, there's this cube in the center. And it, it looks to me like, because it's pink, and it lights up pink when Professor Gill speaks. So I was like, it's this little Energon cube. And then it's got these little gold bat wings on it. So I was just kind of like, sort of like, what? What is going on there? Like, and it's one of those things, kind of like the those kind of static robots that we saw in in other episodes, where it's like you 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 know I've seen the show before, but it's like kind of hyper analyzing it. It's just one of those things that stood out to me because I, I wasn't sure what that was all supposed to be about.
2: See, I, I didn't even blink at like the energon cube thing. The thing that stood out to me was the whole. Crucifix with the sparks going off behind oh, yeah, yeah. it, because I was like, I don't, I don't get why you did that unless it's some sort of threat. I, I, like I don't even know, like why is that even there in the first place? Yeah, but like for the, you know, what you call the energon cube. Like to me, that just seems like something like like you would see. In, but as for like what you call the the energon cube, like to me, that just reminded me of like the various kind of things you would see on the Common Rider series from the Showa era, era, whether it was, like, you know, the Great Leader or any of the other big bads, they would usually speak to their, their henchmen through some kind of thing on the on the wall, like, you know, in the original Common Rider, it was the big shocker eagle symbol, and, you know, there would be, like, a blinking light whenever the Great Leader would speak, and that kind of motif, like, went through most of the Showa Common Rider, so, like, at that, that the, the the Energon cube speaking, like it didn't even register to me, like I just kinda like attributed that to like, you know, one of those like reoccurring you know, motifs and like chillless stuff.
1: Yeah, no, it makes sense when, when you when you sort of break it down like that because it makes me think sort of of the little white cube that the egos would use, like Satan egos would use to speak to their bad guys and Battle Fever J. So that's probably just a trope that that carries on in Tokusatsu like on a regular basis, and you're not supposed to, you know, you're probably not supposed to think about it too much, because I think even what you were talking about before, like it's weird that there's a crucifix like in the background and that it has these electrical squibs, but I, I think you kind of nailed it because I think, you know, maybe it's just this kind of implied threat, like if if Gold Wolf betrays dark you know the the maybe the implied threat is he's going to crucify him and electrocute him all at the same time or something like that you know but i guess speaking of gold wolf like i guess th- this is the regular point in the show where i'll probably end up asking but you know looking at his his appearance to this point like what 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 were your thoughts on gold wolf and and how he he looks so far to this point justin
2: i think he looks pretty cool i mean you know personally I'm a, I'm a big fan of universal monsters but especially the wolfman like I would I would probably have to say like the wolfman has always been my favorite so you know it doesn't matter if it's like a, a movie or live action series or even a, an anime or cartoon like anytime you have like a wolfman type character like I'm automatically you know I'm automatically like invested like you have my attention and you know some of these suits, you know, I've I've complained about some of them, and, you know, some of them, some of them, I think, work. Some of them, I think, either look too goofy or, you know, some of them, you know, maybe they were kind of, like, scrimping, you know, budget-wise, and they just had to, like, come up with something and make it work. But I think, like, I think the suit looks really cool. Yeah,
1: I think I think mainly with this, it's, it looks cool. It looks like a wolf, but it, it also kind of is due to, Sort of the the atmosphere that is going on in the background here, because they really have to play to the strengths of the whole. You know, he he changes in the moonlight, and and they do a lot of these sort of shoots where they're shooting day for night type scenes. So all all scenes are often they, they kind of have that filter of darkness on them or they're shooting him like from the shadows or as a silhouette and stuff like that. And it, it really, you know, it, if there is any, you know, kind of cheapness or imperfection in, in the costuming, you know, that, that, the way they shoot it, you know, definitely hides that, any imperfections that are possibly there, but yeah, I agree, I think I think the costume looks really cool. So, next up, we see Hatori Hanpei's VW Bug stalling out as he is taking Bitsuku and Masaru to the home of Dr. Tadakoro. As one of the world's top authorities on amnesia, they hope to get his help in tracking down their father, because or kumboji. As Hattori Hanpei comically fixes the engine and the car starts itself, to his surprise, Mitsuku and Masaru have elected to walk the rest of the way to the residence. We then see that Kamoji has indeed been staying at the Tadakoro household, as the young lady of the house, Kyoko, prepares some morning tea and fruit for their house guest. According to Kyoko, her father is still at a Swedish conference, but Kyoko assures Professor Komoji that her father will be able to help restore his memory. So I think now we are on Factoid 2 about the Tadakoro Residence.
2: The interior set of the Tadakoro Residence is the same set, redressed, as used for the Sakamura family room scene in episode number 5 and the Inaba family room in episode number 7. This standing set would subsequently pop up, redesigned each time, in other episodes of Kikaida, including the museum director's office in the very next episode.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're back to that, to that quote-unquote frugal slash cheap budget type thing where they're just redressing the same sets over and over again week after week and everything. I, I mean, I was kind of surprised, like, it, you know, like, Komoji just kind of it's funny, like, because I, I don't know that I was expecting, you know, to see him, and, and it's kind of funny how it's almost like a sitcom type thing, like, where it'd be like a threes Company thing, where you're like, gee, where'd Jack Tripper go? And then all of a sudden, like, Jack's waking up in the wrong apartment, and it's like, you can hear, like, the laugh track because Kimoji's there, you know, like, and you're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm here for Fresh Fruit and the Amnesia Doctor. But, you know, it's like, you know, I guess, you know, the dad's not there, probably because of budget again. You know what I mean? Like, it's like they can only hire, like, the actress to play the daughter, but not the father, because the the, the the father got sent off to a Swedish peace conference. Like, that's how that's how good he was. He, he got sent to a peace conference before he even appeared on the show, basically.
2: Zordon, we can't go to the peace conference. Not now. There has to be another way.
0: Trini, Zack, and Jason, in your hearts you will always carry the spirit of the Power Rangers. But your destinies lie elsewhere. You have been
1: chosen to help the world in a different way now. So when Komoji goes out for a walk at a nearby water fountain park, another lady, who we, the audience, have never seen before, calls out to Komoji, claiming to be his daughter. Much like he usually does with his real daughter, Komoji loses his shit and runs <laughs> away like a little bitch. As the woman chases after Komoji and eventually loses him, she does run into Mitsuku and Masaru at the park, and Masaru is confident the man this woman was chasing is their father, but the woman tries to laugh off his assuredness. She then transforms into a dark destructoid foot soldier with boobies! Then a bunch of other dark destructoids come out of the bushes and trap the pair in a circle of sword spears. So this is one of those rare, like, gray-suited female dark destructoids, basically.
2: I, I thought it was funny when she came up to Komunji and she's like, you know, father, he just, like, he got the heck out of there, man. He just took off running. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: like, it's like, it's weird, like, you know, it's it's that trope of the show, like, he he can't Meet his family and and solve the ongoing problem of the show, which is that he has amnesia and he's on the run. But it's 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 funny that even even though it's not his real daughter and son, like even the impost daughter, it's like he totally like is is that? I mean, I suppose you could rationalize it and and go, he knows that's not his real daughter, so he's concerned for his life and well being because he thinks you know dark is hunting him down but if if i kind of feel like he would act the same way if Mitsuku and Bissaro showed up where he's like oh i don't want to be responsible i'm running away ah. you know it's like it's like one of those weird kind of moments where he just he just kind of you know runs off and everything but i guess i guess factoid three lets us in on the the actress that's playing the Dark Districtoid with boobies, so let let us fill us in on that.
2: Actress Miki Kawase, playing the disguised android woman, also appears in episode 38 of Kikaida 01. Hers was one of the unofficial female-type android men to appear in Kikaida. The others can be seen in episodes 5 and 9.
1: Yeah, because I, I remember we saw one of those where they were gray-suited, but then... Yeah. It, you know, like it, what's funny is I think the the official Android women for Dark actually have pink jumpsuits. So whereas I guess this because they have the same jumpsuit as the as the men, you know, it's it's the quote unquote unofficial, you know, Destructoid foot soldier or whatever. But yeah, so so I mean, basically now we're 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 you know left with. Mitsuku and Masaro, and they're trapped in this circle of sword spears and everything and, and just when it looks like all hope is about to be lost we hear that now famous string of guitar notes in the distance high atop a stairwell we see Jiro playing his cherry red guitar of justice he soon leaps into battle driving away the dark destructoid from Mitsuku and Masaro. and like at this point I, I kind of feel like mentioning that in in all the fighting, like, you know, obviously they probably only had the one cherry red guitar, so they were probably afraid of breaking it, but in the context of the stage fight sequences, you get the idea that, you know, Jiro's guitar must be like Superman's cape or something, like, that it's, it's totally indestructible, whereas if it was a real guitar, or if they were actually handling the cherry red guitar of justice, like, you would in a real fight, It would probably just, like, break over the, the guy's head or something like that. So, although Jiro is battling the Dark Agents, there are actually two of them that Jiro has not accounted for, and they have run off with Masuku and Masaru. However, Hattori Hanpei is on the scene and vows to be, quote-unquote, a force to be reckoned with when he, quote-unquote, gets serious! and pursues the kidnapped victims in his green VW Bug. Fortunately, he immediately loses them and then exits his automobile, running around, sniffing the asphalt like a dog, trying to somehow pick up their scent. Eventually, Jiro encounters Hatori Hanpei on all fours, in the middle of the street in his side machine. Even though Hattori Hanpei is clueless as to where Hitsuku and Masaru have been taken, Luckily, Jiro has his own internal radar, PLOT CONTRIVANCE, and continues his pursuit of his missing
2: comrades. I, I, I thought that was weird, because I was like, what is it... What exactly is it detecting? Is it detecting Mitsuku and Masaru somehow? Like, does does he have some kind of tracking device on them? Or is it just picking up, like, people nearby? Yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah,
1: well, that's what's kind of baffling about it. Is it, like, say, say GPS has existed in, you know, 1972, right? Like, if he can track Mitsuku and Masaru, why does he have to stop to ask Tori Hanpei what direction they went
2: in? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because
1: he stops to ask and he says, Dude, did you see where they went? And and, Tori Hanpei's like, I don't know, dude. I don't know. And And then he's like, Well, don't stress it about it. Like, let me just open up my chest and, you know, pluck out this radar and stuff. And then he's totally like, you know the direction you were sniffing in? Well, it's actually the opposite direction, this other fucking direction here. So I'm gonna go there and and find find our friends, you know. But it's like if if, if he could track them, then why like, like then you're like, oh my head, like why yeah. why does he need to stop and ask about where they are? Like why did, if if you had the fucking radar to find them, like some kind of homing beacon, like why didn't you just bust that out to begin with? Like.
2: Maybe he doesn't keep it on all the time because it would drain his battery. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good no prize at least.
2: Yeah.
1: So why don't, why don't you tell us about the next factoid that's related to the side machine?
2: Kakaida's almighty side machine, the super cycle, was originally named the Red Machine, according to the rough sketches repainted on page 26 of the Kakaida Chronicles.
1: Blindfolded now, Mitsuko and Masaru have been brought to a beach-like area, and when the Mystery Man asks them to remove their blindfolds, he instructs them to take a nearby path to freedom. They're surprised to find a dark destructoid aiding them, but the Mystery Man reveals that he always liked Professor Komoji. Mitsuko! Correctly guesses that the mystery man must also have a conscience circuit installed with him as well. The mystery man reveals his conscience circuit is incomplete, way more incomplete than Jiro's conscience circuit. You know how you know that? Because he's like molto molto. <laughs> so, so he's like he's like molto molto, like way more. He reveals he was only stalking the Tadakoro residence in the hopes of taking Professor Kamoji somewhere safe away from the clutches of dark. Mitsuko invites the mystery man to join them in escaping. We then cut to Professor Gill, who has been informed by his foot soldiers that Gold Wolf, Gurudu Urufuwa, has defected. Although Gil first orders them cut to shreds, he then changes his mind, thinking that once the full moon appears, and Gold Wolf will do their dirty work for them. As Mitsuku, Masaru, and the mystery man flee, the full moon rises and he transforms into Gold Wolf. As Masaru pleads with Gold Wolf, the monster tells him that the form they spoke to previously, known as moon Dew, was simply his quote-unquote lunar power cell. Howling as he chases after them with dark-foot soldiers, Jiro soon arrives on the scene to save the day, or day shot for night, evening, and Jiro switches on and does his one, two, three, change into Android Kikaida. At this point, Gold Wolf uses a mouth heat beam called the Wolf Beam against Kikaida. And I just wanted to say that I kind of felt like it, 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 there's, there's a clip of it where it cuts to black and then it's like this little red zigzag after he launches the wolf beam out of his mouth and that totally reminded me of like Darkseid's omega effect like the way it kind of zigged and zagged across the screen and everything and so kakaida dodges these blasts by jumping out of the way and he presses his offensive with his patented double chop However, Mitsuku pleads with Kakaida not to destroy Gold Wolf, for the kindly Moon Dew is still within him. Unfortunately, that distraction enables Gold Wolf to unleash his launchable mace hands called the Wolf Bazooka, which damage Kakaida's chest.
2: I just thought the whole like drama of this was really interesting because I don't think we've ever had something like this where you know this dark destructoid uh you know monster for lack of a better word is actually you know in his other form he's actually a really nice guy like he wants to help them like he he wants to take dr komeuchi somewhere safe but you know when he becomes a werewolf like he, he can't control himself and you know they're kind of they're pleading with you know jiro like don't kill him like he, he's actually a cool guy and like i, I kind of like that whole like back and forth there and then when you see Jiro. Uh, as Kikata get wounded it's like a huge like burst in his chest i was like holy cow like he just got shot in the chest
1: yeah yeah he he gets really fucked up in this like yeah. and and the, the the other thing too is like what you're saying before is this is this is kind of the first time that aspect of the manga anime creeps into an episode cuz you know before it was like you know i i think only the manga or the anime was like brother i do not want to kill my brother you know type thing was going on that kind of trope and and this is the first time because they sort of introduce that element of oh well in his you know in his human disguise he's kind of a nice guy so there is that element of sort of regret that they have to fight one another and and then you know the the damage to kakita's chest launches us into the sort of this this cliffhanger of a commercial basically <laughs>
0: Mr. Fixit. And this here is my consigulary, Diablo Frank, the Lion's Cogliostro. Same difference. Spawn is one of the most successful comic properties of all time with best-selling books, animated series, toy lines, and etc. That stinky movie, all the lawsuits over who has what rights. Don't be a comedian, Frank. We got business to handle. We're here to pimp out our new show, Spawn Talk. About Todd McFarlane's cursed anti-hero on his fight against the forces of heaven and hell in a doomed quest to be reunited with his beloved wife, Wanda. No, the show is called The Spawnometer, named after the countdown clock on Al Sims's Hellspawn supernatural power and undead lifespan. Yeah, yeah, whatever and the gimmick is we're covering one issue of the comic per episode in 22 minutes or less one minute for each page the comic runs then we'll briefly look at another Image Comics creator or series in roughly chronological order reflecting a quarter century of creators rights opportunities at the greatest publisher in the industry then we're gonna dump a letter section and some ads at the end of the show just like Image Comics does new shows will appear on the Rolled Spine Podcast feed through iTunes Stitcher Radio Shout Engine, and the internet archives until we immediately start blowing our deadlines just like Image Comics shut up why do you gotta be such a wise guy that's why Ain't got no friends.
1: And and when we come back from the cliffhanger commercial break, we're back at the Tadakoro residence and Jiro is laid up in, you know, in bed or on a couch side or something like that. And Masuku laments that she doesn't really have the skill to repair the level of damage inflicted to Jiro. Kyoko then enters with some iced tea and to find out how Jiro is doing but you, you basically get the idea she doesn't really know he's an android because she's like well why don't you just take him to the hospital like why don't you get him a doctor and they're kind of like no 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 doctors like you know we, we can't take him to the hospital and then after a moment the. Mitsuku basically is struck with some inspiration, and she thinks like, hey, we can repair Jiro even though I don't have the skills to do it right now, but if we get parts of these other destroyed dark androids like, I I imagine they're all at the same damn hillside that he's been blowing them up for the last ten episodes right? So they just gotta go to that Scrapyard of parts at the bottom of the hill to get some spare parts and as the siblings encroach on the Dark Controlled Territory to get these spare parts for Jiro the Darkfoot soldiers are ordered by Professor Gill to kill them and then like we cut to this weird random ass scene <laughs> cause it's like these two like delivery men come into the Tadakoro household and they bring this white plaster statue and And to me, like I I don't know what you thought, but to me I was like it kinda looked like a plaster statue of like a dinosaur or something. Like that that's what I thought it looked like. And and you know, I, I I you know, I guess later we'll find out it's it's you know uh, uh, urufua, you know hidden in the plaster but i at the time i thought it would kind of look like a dinosaur and kyoko questions like she's like would father really have had this brought in from the swedish conference but okay and she like sort of signs for it or whatever and then it's just like sitting there in the living room and you're just kind of like okay whatever So, meanwhile, Mitsuku and Masaru are trying to be all, like, solid snakes, stealthy, you know, like, hiding from all the Dark Agents in in this kind of nearby territory and everything, and, you know, they make some noise and and nearly give themselves away, and later, then, they try to get these spare parts, they end up being spotted, but as they run off, Hattori is there to meet them in his green VW bug, and they end up fleeing the scene together. And Professor Komoji wakes up in the Tadakoro household only to find that weird plaster statue and Jiro damaged on the couch or the bedside or whatever. And then when the full moon rises, we see Kamoji has been repairing Jiro, like, the whole day, just out of, like, sheer instinct. Like, he's got amnesia, but somehow... He, he sort of instinctively knows like i can do this i can totally repair him and so he's been working on fixing his chest and everything and then the plaster statue gets a bunch of cracks on it and the moonlight shining on it and it cracks some more and instead of it being a dinosaur like my stupid ass thought it was it's <laughs>
2: and
1: he Goldwolf basically erupts out of the white plaster statue and you know komoji's like you know shocked in horror and everything and then kyoku walks in and screams and that wakes jiro up and then this part of course was like total like plot convenience i guess because had had gold wolf held on to fucking komoji like that was his whole thing he was supposed to like steal komoji back for dark right when he's evil wolf that works for dark but it's like he he abducts komoji leaves the residence and meanwhile like when last we left mitsuku and masaru like they rode off with the tori hanpei in the green vw bug and it's almost like he's gonna meet up with them halfway so it's like mitsuku and masaru are running down the street and gold wolf is running down the street with komoji but then if they all it, it's almost like that thing like you can't cross the Ghostbuster streams, you know, because they're like, you know, then that would like end the whole plot of the show, basically. So it's like conveniently, you know, Komoji just like slips out of his hands and like runs off in the other damn direction. And then they catch up to you know, then then Gold Wolf catches up to Masuko and Musaro and then all these dark soldiers are right behind them and everything so now they're all screwed except for professor komoji who's like run off and everything and then we end up hearing the cherry red guitar of justice and jiro has returned and he leaps off a rooftop to confront the howling gold wolf and dark clouds momentarily like they cover the moonlight and so instead of him being Gold Wolf, like, while the clouds cover the moonlight, he's actually transformed back into his Moondoo form, you know, his human form that's the good guy, and Jiro fights off these dark foot soldiers, but then Moondu and Jiro actually are both mutually tormented by your favorite, my favorite, everybody's favorite, Professor Gill's annoying-ass fucking dark flute noise, And this leads to Mundu again becoming the consciousless gold wolf or Gorudo Rufuwa. And in this episode, the rationale for Jiro not hearing Professor Gill's annoying fucking devil flute is that he's being pummeled Rocky-style with the boxing blows from Goldwolf's mace hand. So I I guess I kind of buy that. He's getting punched in the face so hard, he can't fucking hear the goddamn devil flute. And then at that point, Jiro does his one, two, three, change into Kit Kaida.
2: I don't know, I, I thought the whole, like... His blows were drowning out the flute thing. Was a little silly. <laughs> I was most, like, really? These, Come on.
1: I, I guess. I guess. I guess. Now, in in covering this, like index style, I'm just content that there's an explanation <laughs> at all. Right. You know, because sometimes there's these things where it's like, and now it's time for me to change because it's like, you know, it's it's you know, twenty minutes into the episode or whatever. So we've hit that time. But yeah, so I, I think you're you're you've got a slew of factoids for us because I think they the these these next couple of factoids all seem to apply to the fight sequences and everything that we were just talking about.
2: The exciting motorcycle stunts, as both Jiro and Kikaida were performed by Kinzo Moromachi, the founder and leader of the professional motorcycle team Moromachi Racing. It was his contributions to the series, which added considerable oomph to Kakata's action scenes. Members of Sonichiba's Japan Action Club and Kazuo Mishima Kenjaki, such as Toshiaki Kikuchi and Chiyoda Watanabe, were employed to bring the Dark Destructoids and Andro-Man to life. Even fight choreographer Kazuo Mishima would don an android man get up for certain scenes that required... A few bad androids. But the suffocating men behind the rubber dark destructoid costumes, including the self sacrificing Yukio Mihashi and Ko Hayami. As mentioned in earlier factoids, the evil androids' trampoline stunts were executed by Kenji Takahashi and Osamu Kanida of Japan Action Enterprises.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, yeah, there's, you know, obviously, congrats, like, I I know, I know you're worried about all the Japanese names, (laughs) you say some of them better than I do. But, you know, like, what I was wondering about is, you know, how they in the factoid, they they, they talk about Kenji Takahashi, but then it says Ni Kenji Oba. So I was like, wait a minute, like, you know, is that is Kenji Oba doing some of the the you know our you know the, the Arkanjova like is is he doing some of the Dark Destructoid stuff because he might be right so yeah I was like that's that's kind of cool and something I didn't know and and then you know I I guess just for me personally like I, I think at this point in the episode it's like I I know we sort of praised it for helping hide any costuming flaws with Gold Wolf but. I think the day for night shooting stuff is starting to take its toll on me here, (laughs) where it starts becoming, like, really, like, obvious and stuff, and you're just kind of like, all right, I get it, like, they can't actually shoot at night, but you know, now, I don't know, it was just starting to get on my nerves, because it's, like, it's basically, like, you, it's, I imagine it's what people feel like when they watch, you know, Zack Snyder DC movies, where they're like, can we just have some color, please? (laughs) And it's like, you know, like that's kind of what this is like. This is, like, if you want to know what what a Zack Snyder, you know, Kikaida Tokusatsu episode is, then watch episode 11, because everything is, like, shot day for night, so, like, a lot of the color is kind of kind of drowned out and so that that kind of started to get on my nerves after a while but basically you know kakaita at this point is is offering to help gold wolf defy professor Gill. but you know gold wolf can help but to fire his wolf omega beams at kakaita and this time at least Kakaida knows not to fuck with those, and that he dodges the wolf bazooka. And even though he's trying to reason with Gold Wolf, I mean, eventually, Kakaida goes into the trope routine and performs his giant swing move, and then finally he does the end! And, you know, this is basically the the, the point that, you know, we, we've kind of touched on this earlier in the episode, but, like, this is again, reflecting kind of, you know, the whole brother-killing-brother brother stuff that was in the manga and the anime. And this is almost like... I feel like it's the first time we've seen this in the Tokusatsu. And it's it's really kind of over the top because Kakita's in his android mode and there are tears, like, coming out of the android. Like, because, you know, in case kids don't get it, it's like, Kakaita's really sad he had to do that. You know, like, so it's like they... He, he, I mean, it, it's kind of weird that he's, you know, if this is Pinocchio, right? Like, you know, the 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 Jiro, you know, the Jiminy Circuit, right? Like, Pinocchio is literally like crying, so he he's kind of doing something that a real boy would be able to do to sort of punctuate a, a story point, which is a little weird, but it's it's kind of interesting to see it because. It, it's sort of rare because it sort of breaks the formula of, of your standard Kikaita Tokusatsu episode.
2: The crying, of course, reminded me of that famous scene from, you know, Avengers where, you know, you see the Vision crying and it says even an android can cry. Like that's immediately what I thought of. That was a really kind of a... Intense final battle there because I was like, oh, are they are they really gonna kill this guy? Because I mean, yeah, of course, you know, Gorodu Arufawa is a really bad guy, but I mean, as as his other form, you know, he like I said, he's a nice guy. He wants to help them, and he's kind of like torn. And he, you know, he- it's it's almost
1: it's almost weird because they, they they try to play up that whole tragedy of it, where it's like, oh, if only the moonlight had yeah. like gotten like dim earlier, like, we wouldn't have had to do this type thing.
2: I was sad to see Gorudu Orufuwa meet the end.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I I think everybody was. And then I guess we we have one final factoid on the the climax.
2: The climactic battle for this exciting episode was shot on location around the Kasumi Gaoka National Stadium built in 1958 at the former site of the Meiji Jingu Gaiden athletic stadium. The venue hosted the third Asian Games the same year, the 18th Olympic Games in 1964, the 10th Universade?
1: I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> Universade? I don't know. I don't
2: know. The 10th Universade in 1967 and the 2002 World Cup. Located in the lower Shinjuku ward of Tokyo, the stadium was also used as a major location, for episode 19 of Subaraya Productions' Ultraman episode 9 of Giant Robo and featured in the closing titles of Toei's Good Luck Robocon
1: I've seen Ultraman yeah (laughs) we kind of close out with Jiro riding on his side machine solo and everything and that's that's basically you know that wraps up the episode and everything and then you know in the next episode Blurb, you know. Of course, next up we're we're gonna see Kakita fighting Silver Cat, but that's that's basically the end of the episode and everything. I I don't, you know, the 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 actual location. It's like I was kind of expecting it to be the the way the factoid wrote it up. Like I I kind of thought that it would look more I don't know sporty, but it looks like they were. They were on top of it or outside of it or, you know what I mean like yeah that they were using it as a as as an ambient location but it's not like they were actually in a stadium or anything like not not where they were shooting it's like it's like maybe they were in the, the surrounding areas or, or on top of it or you know on the roof or something like that but I mean overall I I you know like most of these, I I enjoyed watching the episode. I thought the the acting was good. I mean, you know, the the Tori Hanpei, you know, played up his comedy, and you know, it, I think it was just enough and not not too much in this episode. And that you know, the the you know gentleman playing Moondoo, you know, like he he came off as nice. He had some good moments, especially when he was kind of describing to Mitsuku and Masaru about you know, that that he liked their father and, and had good memories of him and that that kind of incited them to kind of have sympathy for him as a character and everything. And so I, I thought it all worked rather well. So I, I you know, I, I would give this a my my seal of approval and, and I definitely enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, I really liked this episode too. And I like you said, I liked that Hitori Hanpei served his role he wasn't over the top but he was there and you know he got a few chuckles in and everything and i also liked that mitsuko and masaru were not a complete hindrance to the episode or to the plot wow. you know i liked where she was you know attempting to fix jiro and then she even like put herself and her brother in danger trying to get replacement parts even though ultimately you know they had to like quickly grab those parts and get the hell out of Dodge. Like, you know, right. at least at least she was, you know, actively trying to be helpful instead of, you know, getting captured for the 11th time at this point. <laughs> right,
1: right, right. Yeah, no, I, I get you. All right, yeah. well, I, I think that kind of wraps up what we have to say on... So, if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We can be found on all kinds of cool social media. You can find us on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We are on Stitcher Radio, where you can stream us. We are on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback, likes that we receive, shares, retweets, etc., and if you like listening to Toku Thursdays, you may enjoy checking out some of our other spin off series like Sentai Saturdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, Big in Japan, where we talk about anime, comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? And of course, the Fanholes podcast proper. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off.
2: And this is Justin do okay. yeah
1: exactly it rolls off the tongue,
2: and <laughs> like some of those other real Japanese names, I struggled to get. yeah.
1: I, I think you did great. I mean, some of that stuff. I know you said better than I do, but to, to, yeah, I don't know what the universe, uh, yeah, universiade. It maybe it's universiade, but that sounds. I feel like that sounds like Spanish or or something to me. I,
2: I feel like it's something made up from the Simpsons. Like, let's go to the Universarium. <laughs> 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 Mister Fink is there?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Here, maybe we can maybe we can educate ourselves. Maybe I'll I'll just get up and see what it says.
2: Yeah, we do have the internet.
1: <laughs> we have the interwebs. To the interwebs. Okay. Let's see. The Universiade is an international multi-sport event organized. For university athletes by the International University Sports Federation, the name is a combination of the words university and olympiad.
2: Hmm.
1: Oh, so Universiad? That's probably what it was supposed to oh. be. Universiad, like because it's university okay. and olympiad. Okay, so summer Universiad. Oh well, I'm like, I'm like, uh, maybe on, when I edit the episode, you'll be like, and the 20. 20- yeah, and the nineteen seventy two summer <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna you're
2: gonna edit me like Mr. Black, <laughs>
1: Poochie. Yeah, I don't like
2: that kind of thing. No, but yeah. So, awesome. <laughs>